your children are not your children they are the sons and the daughters of life's longing for itself they come through you but they are not from you and though they are with you they belong not to you good evening and welcome to another edition of on parenting Good evening, and welcome to WPFW 89.3 Pacifica Radio, and this is our show on parenting, and I'm your host, Jack Petrash, and welcome to our October show. A while back, I was at a conference, and the presenter at this conference turned to the audience at one point, and she asked everybody in the audience who was over 35 years old to raise their hands. And a whole slew of hands went up. And when they did, she looked at everyone and she said, well, you know, you should all be dead. And then she went on to say, because you rode bikes without bike helmets, you rode in cars without car seats, you all drank out of the garden hose. And at that moment, we saw how clearly the lives of children had changed in the last 30 to 40 years. Because our lives were so different than the lives of our children today. We climbed trees. We rode our bikes in the street. We roller skated without knee pads and without elbow pads. We fell. We got hurt. And we got up. And we were stronger for it. Has parenting changed that much in the last 35 years? Well, tonight, to discuss this question with us, we are fortunate to have as our guest Dr. Wendy Mogul. Dr. Mogul is a clinical psychologist from California who lectures to parents and teachers and clergy and school administrators on the challenges of modern family life. And she is the author of a really fine book, The Blessing of a Skin Knee. And I want to welcome Dr. Mogul to our program tonight. Welcome. Hello, Jack. <laughs> Wendy, it's great to have you on. Thank you so much. And uh, Wendy, from your vantage point, has parenting changed that much in the last 30 to 40 years? I I was talking to a fourth grade teacher not so long ago who said, I'm so afraid our children are going to file the largest class action suit in history. (laughs) He said, I'm afraid they're going to sue us for stealing their childhood. Yeah. Yeah. Just an amazing thought. Now, Wendy, your book, The Blessing of a Skin Knee, I, I just found the reading that book, um, it was just a compelling statement uh, about the overprotectedness of parents and with children today. And would you say a little bit about what you found uh, for their parents in California? And in there, you tell this one story, this wonderful story about one parent who was present at one of your talks. Uh, about an unusual arrangement that she had with one of her housekeepers. Would you mind sharing that story with us? I I would be happy to, but first I have to tell you what I heard George Carlin say. Uh I was was thinking about the bicycle helmets and the car seats, and he said, whatever happened to natural selection? (laughs) He said, it used to be that if a child swallowed seven marbles, you did not necessarily want that child to reproduce. (laughs) So the mother in my audience was talking about how she had hired a housekeeper, that her daughter was fearful after the big earthquake we had here in Southern California, 
and she didn't like to go to sleep at night. She had all kinds of worries. And so the mother hired a housekeeper wh- whose condition of employment was that she would allow this little girl to sleep in bed with her every night. And I sort of couldn't help myself. It came out of my mouth in front of the hundred or so people in the audience. And I said, a human teddy bear. <laughs> and I sort of imagined this girl whose fears were being treated so literally as getting to college and finding a boyfriend teddy bear really, really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the implications of that arrangement later in life, they're really sobering, aren't they? We, we really want to give our kids an opportunity to learn how to soothe themselves, to get themselves out of a jam. I always say to parents, I'm really glad if your child has a crabby, unenlightened, uninspired fourth grade teacher. <laughs> because at some point when they have a job, which we hope they'll have one day, they're going to have a crabby, unenlightened, uninspired boss. They're also likely to have a crabby, unenlightened, uninspired spouse or partner, at least the first one. <laughs> We, we want them to learn how to deal with some difficulties. We, we kind of treat them like they are handicapped royalty. Handicapped royalty. Can, can you say more about that, the royalty part? That they are... Um, it, it's interesting to me as a clinical psychologist because the two most common complaints I get from school administrators that I consult to are that the students are entitled and anxious. Hmm. That they feel that other people, they sort of expect their parents to be a cross between a Sherpa, a concierge, a butler, and the secret police. And just just processing are, that. Uh, the Sherpa part I get. Okay, which part not? No, I'm getting the concierge part, <laughs> right? And the secret police. Now explain that one. I... The secret police is the parents who want to um, do use web capture technology on their kids' computers. Uh-huh. They sort of live through worrying about their children. Yeah. And the parents I'm talking about are all loving, devoted, intelligent parents. It's the crazy world we live in that has skewed our view of how resilient children actually can be if we give them a chance. Uh And that's the part where we treat them as if they're handicapped. We don't trust that they can just get up and dust themselves off and be okay. And we want them to do so much dusting themselves off before they go to college. We want them... There's a wonderful that good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. <laughs> That's an interesting statement. It certainly was true in my life. So we want our kids to make a lot of cheap mistakes while they're young. Mm-hmm. I see parents, you know, rushing back to school with the forgotten homework assignment or the forgotten lunch or the forgotten soccer shoes, and it doesn't give ch- kids an opportunity to learn to develop the muscle of remembering. Yeah. Now, Wendy, 
in your book, The Blessing of Skin Knee, I, I should mention that your subtitle is Ewing, Using Jewish Teachings to Raise Self-Reliant Children. And in your book, you, you explain how your study of, of Jewish teachings and your study of the Torah had so much to instruct about parenting, so much instruction about parenting. Would, would you say a little bit about that and, and about this idea of what the Torah tells us about overprotecting our children? I was um, born to two Jewish parents, but I had no religious education of any kind when I was growing up. And I just stumbled upon synagogue when my children were very small. And I was so stunned when I started studying some texts see how much there was, how many teachings that were applicable to this world where if you don't really stop yourself, you will automatically overschedule your kids, overprotect them, overindulge them, expect them to be good in every single thing except being respectful for adults. And one of the first things I read was from the Babylonian Talmud, and the teaching was that every parent has an obligation to teach their child how to swim. Mm -hmm. I remember reading that in your book. Could you say more? That that means our goal in raising our children is to raise them to leave us. Mm -hmm. They need to be able to manage if the water is cold, if there are waves, if there are rocks. We want them to have big adventures on their own and then find their way back to shore. And, Jack, you know these phrases that we hear all the time now. Helicopter yeah. parents, snowplow yeah. parents. Have you heard this one, chew and swallow parents? No, no, I have not heard that one yet. So that, that's chew, now it's time to chew, okay, now it's time to swallow. Or... Look at you. You breathed in and then you breathed out. Oh, good job. It's a miracle. <laughs> right. Good job. Good job. <laughs> Uh, we're talking tonight with Dr. Wendy Mogul. And if you have questions for Wendy, you can call us at the studio at 202-588-0893. Um, now, Wendy, you also have, well, your book has so much to offer. In it, you have a section entitled, Turn Down the Worry, the 20-Minute Rule. Could you speak a little bit about that? Because, you know, helicopter parents, the chew-and-swallow parents, we're all worry parents. So we live in with our 24-hour news cycle. Like yesterday, we were all worried about the little boy in the balloon, mm -hmm. and now we're all worried about parents who pull hoaxes, and everybody's constantly worried about swine flu. And it filters down to the children so if they get one grade of say a b minus not even on a test just a quiz they think that their entire future is ruined <laughs> parents are afraid to let children walk two blocks down the street to their best friend's house or their grandparents house yes. till they're practically 15 and it um leads children to feel that the world is not a safe place and that they can't cope without their parents. So what are we seeing now? We are seeing college students, and there was just a wonderful study done at Middlebury College in Vermont and the University of Michigan by a developmental psychologist named Barbara Hofer. 
the average number of contacts between college students and their parents, college freshmen, is 13.4 per week. Per week? Per week. Oh, gosh. I have no idea. Thank, thank goodness our daughter does not call us. I mean, she, <laughs> she doesn't call us every week. Yeah, she does. She calls us every. She calls us when I text her, which is like every two weeks. But um, and that's uh, isn't that how it was when when you were growing up? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's wonderfully old fashioned, and I'm very proud of you and your daughter. Cause <laughs> it's so it's our daughter. <laughs> Yeah. Now that's hard to believe. Thirteen point two calls per week. It is. Yeah. It is it's, ca- it's text, video chats, IMs, emails, and phone calls. Mm-hmm. And and so the calls are something like this: the student is sitting at the salad bar, and she will call mom and say, "Mom, do I like Russian dressing?" <laughs> and my sense is, she should know that by now, yeah. or be willing to take the risk of finding out on her own. But part of this is parental separation anxiety. Yeah, no, I see that too. And there's a lovely side of that, which is that most of our children have much more relaxed and friendly relationship with their parents than we did. So I don't want to paint too gloomy a picture. Mm -hmm. There, There are many wonderful aspects of raising children at this moment in history. But lack of anxiety is not one of them. Well, you know, one of the things that struck me in your book and and made such a big impression on me was this idea that by taking care of our children all the time and protecting them and, in a way, structuring their reality so that they don't fail and don't get hurt. You know, you mentioned in your book the parents that rent a coach to help a child with their baseball because they struck out at recess and they don't want them traumatized. Or the parents who go to the library and do research for their child because they're overscheduled and they have to go to ballet. And, 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 and so it's the story of parents who go out of their way to diminish the pain in their children's lives. And what you said in your book that made such a big impression on me was that if Exodus were to occur today, you know, who would go? Like, everybody would want some guarantee that this man taking us was going to get where he said he was going to go, and everybody would be too afraid of the risk. Like, a, an event that is just a defining event in a people's history, you know, would go, you know, unexperienced because people would be too timid today. And that was the worry that I, I left with after, after reading your book. I, I just thought, my gosh, that, that's true. That would happen. There's a, a beautiful Jewish teaching, I believe it's the Baal Shem Tov, who said that the world is a very narrow bridge and the most important thing is not to be afraid. That the world is full of pain suffering is our choice. Hmm. And if we bubble wrap these kids, we are not only, and again the intention is loving, we're not only protecting them, we're depriving them of life. We're talking tonight with Dr. Wendy Mogul. And please, you can call with your questions at 202-588-0893. But I should take a minute tonight just to mention as well, this is our fundraising drive. 
And it's through the work at WPFW that we're able to have this show on parenting and to have a guest like Wendy Mogul here tonight to speak to you about the challenges of raising children in our complex modern world. So I invite you to show your support for the work here at WPFW and for our show on parenting and call the station at 202-588-9739 or 1-800-222-9739 and make a pledge uh, to support this listener-sponsored radio. And for your pledge of $65, we will send you a CD of children's stories by Kalanji Lushigan. And for your pledge of $89.30 for 89.3 WPFW, we will send you a copy of Wendy Mogul's book, The Blessing of a Skin to Knee. We're going to go to the phone. Good evening. All right. Hello? Hi. Well, I, welcome. I had a comment. I, I thought it was an interesting comment. If Exodus occurred today, who would go? But then I thought, well, what about Obama? I mean, he's not leading us uh, through the Red Sea, but at least he's advocating change, and the youth followed him. That's true. So yeah. Maybe things aren't quite as bad as they might be. That's right. That's right. No, that, I think for all of us, Barack Obama's presidency and his popularity among the young people has been such a sign of encouragement. Now, I, they, I think it's such a wonderful antidote to the reflex cynicism that children get from lots and lots of the messages on television, which is that if you look at the sitcoms, the message is adults are kind of buffoons, in particular men, and um, children are in charge. So to have this kind of inspiring leadership, I think, has been tremendously important to young people. Well, thank you for your call. Thanks. Now, Wendy, one of the things that you... Well, I, I want to turn to a statement here that um, is from your book. And in your book you write, The hidden secret in our community in which I live is its anguish. Unsure how to find grace and security in the complex world we have inherited, we try to fill up the spaces in our children's lives with stuff. Birthday entertainments lessons, rooms full of toys and equipment, tutors and therapists. But material pleasure can't buy peace of mind, and all these excesses lead to more anxiety. Can you say more about that? What, what I see, and again, the parental intentions are good, but I see a little girl, a six-year-old girl in the winter pageant at her school, playing the part of a bush and receiving an entire bouquet of roses from the contribution. <laughs> mm -hmm. I see not a single set of parents in the audience with both eyes on the screen because we're videotaping it. And there is a kind of preciousness both about children's achievement and about their desires that make me worry about how they're going to feel, like Barack Obama, when they actually win the Nobel Prize or they get an Oscar, they've had everything already by the time they're 13. They've had all the stress and all the designer items. So why grow up? And one of the reasons this concerns me is that I suspect that the best human relationship possible is between grandparents and grandchildren you kind of have a common enemy and you have 
low expectations of each other, but our children will not want to grow up to be parents if they see parents enslaved to the children and spending more money they can afford in buying them things. So I am thrilled with this recession because it's good for children. They can say things like, we can't afford that. And then they can say to themselves, and this doesn't mean I don't love you and you have no future and we're all going to die. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's a beautiful Hasidic Jewish teaching that says, he who has 100 wants 200. And what um, Judaism commands people to do is to find opportunities every single day to say 100 blessings. So you wake up in the morning and you thank God that your soul has been returned to you. And then after you go to the bathroom, you you say, thank you, God, that all the vessels, pipes, and organs that are supposed to be open are open, and all the ones that are supposed to be closed are closed. And then if you see a rainbow, there's a blessing for a rainbow. So you tune up your kind of attitude of gratitude. Yeah. In a world where the advertisers have completely bypassed the parents, gone straight to the children, and taught them what they call pester power and the nag factor. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking tonight with Dr. Wendy Mogul, uh, the author of Blessing of a Skin Knee, just an incredible book. And uh, we invite you to call with your questions here at 202-588-0893. Call our studio. Um, Wendy, I... Along the lines of what we've just been saying, I I read a statement years ago that really struck me. It was a person who wrote and said that we are, we're mistaken when we love our children more than God loves them. And I was puzzled at that statement because, you know, you feel as a parent that your love should be unlimited. But I I knew what this person was hinting at, hinting at this this idea that we, you know, the way you say we fetishize our, our children. We, we make them so very special. Can you say a little bit about um, why it's important that our children are also ordinary? If we worship at the altar of their achievements and their sports prowess and their physical appearance and their popularity, we're teaching them that that's what we value more than the development of their character. And there's, a, there's another wonderful Jewish teaching that says everyone should carry in their pocket two pieces of paper at all times. Have you ever heard this? No, one? no, I haven't. It, so you're supposed to write on one of the pieces of paper, I am nothing but dust and ashes. And on the other piece of paper, you write, the world was created entirely for my sake. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great attitude to have towards yeah. children. They are very ordinary. They fall on the normal curve, at least in some areas. Parents act as though every child is learning disabled, gifted, or both. We want them to be ordinary family citizens, ordinary American citizens, and they are also very special, each in their unique way. That's a wonderful paradox. We're going to go back to the phone and uh, have a caller here. Are you there? Hello, is that me? Yes. 
Okay, yes. Good day. My name is Derek, and I want to say uh, hello to the host and to the guest. Thank and you, Basically, Derek. I say this is a very uh, interesting topic that every parent should uh, listen to or should uh, know about. Uh, my question to the doctor is, how old, I have two questions, how old do you think uh, children can be uh, before a parent can trust them alone at home? Let's say the parents have to go somewhere, and how old can a child be before the parents can just leave them at home by themselves? That's a, such a good question because it brings, and I say hello, Derek, first, <laughs> um, it brings up the principle that you can never decide things by age but by maturity. So there are state laws that vary about how old you're allowed to leave children home alone, and it usually ranges somewhere around 10 years old. But there are some 10-year-olds who are so goofy and so irresponsible, you wouldn't want to leave them for 15 minutes. There are other 10-year-olds who could babysit a bunch of younger kids and do beautifully. So you decide these things based on how responsible your child is in general. Does that make sense? Yes, according to the maturity level. Yep, that you judge in other ways. For instance, does the child remember to get their homework done? Does the child remember to take a shower in the morning? Do you have to wake them up 11 times before they're going to get ready for school? So you look at their general maturity, and then you decide, can I give this person an opportunity to stay home by themselves, which lots of kids would love to do, and other kids feel too nervous. Great. And one more question. Um, Do you think uh, that it is um, a sign of immaturity if uh, two brothers or two sisters yeah, let's say one is 14 and one is 12. If they're still uh, sleeping uh, together, do you think that they, if they have separate rooms but yet they sleep in one of the other's rooms, do you think that that's a sign of immaturity? You know, a lot of times one of them has kind of brainwashed the other one into thinking it's a good idea. Generally, psychologists don't want kids this age still sleeping in bed together if they're not the same gender. And so it may turn out that one of them is kind of fearful and says to the other one, oh, please stay with me, otherwise I can't fall asleep. So if I were you, I would want to investigate a little bit more and see what the story is. Excellent. That answers my question very well. And as I said, I mean, uh, I wish everybody would listen to to what you have to say, Doctor, and thank you very much. Thank Thank you, Derek. Thank you so much for calling. Thank you. Well, Wendy, our our time is is just flying by, and uh, I'm going to look here and see if we have one more one more question, and uh, oh, I know, and, and it's kind of ironic that I'm going to ask you a question about time when <laughs> our time is slipping away, but um, I know that in your book you have a chapter on, on the blessing of time, and it's in short supply for parents today. Probably that's one of the big things that's changed in parenting. Um, what advice would you have for parents, and can you say a little bit about this idea of Sabbath? I, I want everybody to get scared by what the director of undergraduate admissions at Harvard University said about some of the incoming students. And that phrase was, the students resemble dazed 
survivors of some bewildering lifelong boot camp. There's a wonderful book by Richard Louvre called Last Child in the Woods, Saving Your Child from Nature Deficit Disorder. The Sabbath means that it's such a radical countercultural idea. It means we take 24 hours out of the week to be grateful for what has already been created rather than trying to create something new, that we turn off all our machines, that we don't check the email, we don't answer the phone, we don't talk about work or scheduling or carpools. At Shabbat dinner at my house, what we would do is light the candles in the name of anybody who needed a blessing for any hard time they might be going through, and then we would go around the table and everyone would talk about what they were grateful for in the past week. And this is what Abraham Joshua Heschel calls a cathedral in time. Mm -hmm. Yes. What a wonderful thought that our family dinner should be a cathedral in time. And you know, it can be a pizza on a Sunday night. Yep. I want to thank you very much, Wendy, for taking the time to be our guest tonight and for sharing your thoughts with our listeners here at WPFW in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much, Jack. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you.